0: The following podcast is a deep, shallow dive production. Okay, let's go. All right, party people, our boy Ray D has teased this for what feels like a year, even though it's only been like a month. That guy repeats himself so dang much, he really makes a month feel like a year. But I digress. Today is the day that we reveal the top five phrases that our artificial intelligence software has analyzed as the top five phrases. Ray D. says the most on the Deep Shallow Dive podcast. Just like everything else in the news these days, none of this has been independently verified. And so you gotta just take our word for it. Shucky ducky quack quack. Okay. Let's unpack this. Number five. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I would hope not. Number 4. At the end of the day. Number 3. To be honest with you, I'm noticing a theme here. Number 2. Call a spade a spade. That one feels like it should have an asterisk next to it, since it's really a tagline, but whatever. And the number 1 phrase that our non-independently verified analysis, meaning you literally simply have to take our word for it and ask zero questions, is Drumroll, please. That's insane. Yep, that's insane. Well, there you have it, folks. That's insane. I'm not going to lie. At the end of the day, I have to be honest with you and call a spade a spade. Wow, see what I just did there? That was insane. Okay, got to go.
1: All right, all right. It's all fun and games until Ray D gets made fun of by... Artificial intelligence that was programmed by Ray D. All right, people, there you have it. There you have it. The highly anticipated top five phrases that I tend to say a lot. And you know what? I do say those phrases a lot. So, hey, here's another one, actually. It is what it is. Actually, I don't know if I say that too much on the podcast, but I definitely say that a lot in my real life. Anyway, hope you guys got a good laugh out of that as I did. But I am so glad to be able to joke around a little bit too. You know, I wanted to start today off with just a little real talk and Honestly, just a little real conversation. You know, I went back and, I mean, I've said it before, I I go back and I listen to my episodes on a daily basis. I really do. You know, I'll listen to the episode pretty much first thing in the morning when I get up, you know, after making some coffee, kind of going through my emails and all that, I'll have the episode playing for the first time. And then I normally do listen to it again later in the day when I go on my run, and I will, I will have it, you know, playing through my AirPods so I can listen to it through the AirPods just to make sure, you know, it sounds good through headphones and there's no hissing or things like that. But yesterday after I listened to it for the second time, you know, I was like, man, that was, I I really, I really was pretty, I guess, animated? No, that's not the right word for it. I don't know. I felt like I was a little bit harsh on on Israel for that matter. And, and, and honestly, I feel like maybe that's the first time that, I don't know, maybe a little personal anger came out about that situation. And, you know, I, I really do feel bad about that because, again, what I think I should have done... Oh, God, many episodes ago. But to be honest with you, I'm just kind of figuring this out now is, you know, I really do want to differentiate between the country of Israel and honestly, the government of Israel. And that right now obviously is is centered around Benjamin Netanyahu. You know, he is the prime minister. He is a, a far right-leaning prime minister. And I really do want to delineate and differentiate between the people and the country of Israel, definitely the people, but also the country of Israel, and then the government. And again, you can dial that down to Netanyahu and maybe some of the other guys, like a few of the other former prime ministers, you know, I've quoted or I've played some segments from Neftali Bennett a few times, and I'm going to play more from these guys because, you know, they're the spokesperson. And again, what I'm realizing is they're not the spokesperson for the country, even though they are, but they're speaking for the government first and foremost. And, you know, same thing on the other side When it comes to the Palestinian people, you know, say what you will about them. And one thing I'm trying to understand is, you know, they did seem to elect Hamas into leadership. I think that was back in 2005. I haven't really dug into that yet, so I'm going to dig into that, but... You know, when I talk about Palestine, I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about the innocent civilians. I'm talking about the three-year-old kid that, you know, that was where he was born versus being born in Los Angeles, California, you know. And so the innocence of the people yesterday with that refugee camp being bombed, where I thought it would have been much more, you know, much more common sense. Remember, we're trying to look through all of this through the lens of common sense. And to me, common sense was to to get surgical. It was to go in and do a special operation, surgical attack, extract that one individual. If you want to, you know, hang them in front of everybody, that's fine with me. I'm good with that. I have no, I have no sympathy toward any terrorist. I have no sympathy toward really anybody that kills innocent civilians and human beings. And I mean, if you really think about that, you can, you can decide what you define as a terrorist, you know, I'll leave it at that. But anyway, I was a little, I don't know, I guess I just felt like maybe, maybe that was a little much. But the point I want to make initially is that I am quickly realizing the tremendous disconnect between Netanyahu and the the right wing faction of the Israeli government and then the country and the people. And at the same time, I'm really researching the the disconnect or trying to understand what 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 Hamas even is. You know, it's like right now to me it's a little bit like a boogeyman. You know, I haven't really seen anything where they bring a Hamas leader. You know, I don't really even know who the leaders are. I don't know any of those names. It's not like Osama bin Laden where there was one guy that was, you know, really the focal point of this. Now, when you hear about Hamas, you just hear it's Hamas, it's Hamas. Hamas is doing this, Hamas is doing that, Hamas is doing that. So I'm gonna try and delve into that a little more. That's the first thing I wanted to have a little real talk on today. And then the second thing was I had a great conversation with one of my interns. Yes, the deep shallow dive currently has two interns. They're both awesome. David and Calvin, these guys are these guys are crushing it for me. It's really really been enjoyable. And the most enjoyable part is, you know, they're both like 23 years old. So it's, it's very cool for me to be able to interact and I'm going to start interacting a lot more with these guys, but be able to interact with that, you know, God, I feel like here, here's old, here's the old man talking, interact with that younger generation and try and like see things through their eyes and see what's important to them or see what they think about or see what resonates, you know. I I honestly like to think of myself as someone who is in touch across, I guess, the age span. You know, I can have a conversation with an eight-year-old and an 80-year-old, and I can, I feel like I can do both of those, you know, equally as well. But it's been great having these guys to really, you know, bounce things off of. And and that's what happened yesterday. Calvin gave me a call, and you know, we had a really good talk and 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 we're actually I'm actually going to bring him on an episode cuz we brought up so many things. Gosh, I wish I had recorded the pod the conversation yesterday and because I literally could have just put that in and and played it as an episode. But the thing that r- I took from that conversation the most was, you know, he said, "Hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know, you know, when I first met you, the thing that really resonated to me was that, you know, after one conversation, I just, I felt like I knew you and I felt like, you know, we had been friends our entire life and sometimes when I listen to your podcast, you know, I don't, I don't feel your personality coming through the way that I think it deserves to come through and so I kind of asked him, well, hey, which episode, what are you talking about, you know, do you think I'm too serious and all that and anyway, long story short, he gave me a lot of amazing feedback and I realized that You know, I've said this a few different times, but, man, it's, you know, I'm trying to be 100% raw and unfiltered Ray D myself, and I think that I'm still not there. I really do, and especially after that conversation with Calvin, and especially when, you know, a 23-year-old hears that, you know, he heard a different tone from me. And, you know, we did delve in a little more. And I think a lot of that was the the most recent few episodes, really, actually, maybe when we started talking about this Israel-Palestine situation. And so I did say, well, you know, I do think, obviously, this is such a serious situation. And, you know, people's lives, you know, human beings, innocent human beings on October 7th on the Israeli side lost their life. And then innocent human beings since October 7th, really on the Palestinian side, continue to lose their life. So maybe what you're not hearing in these episodes is because, I don't know, maybe it's because of an underlying respect I have to those, you know, people that, that, that lost their lives unnecessarily. And that's causing me to, you know, maybe not be myself as much on the episodes, But anyway, I appreciated the conversation and I feel like I'm better from it. I really do. And so I'm going to have Calvin on and it might even become a regular segment. But I think it's cool having a perspective of, you know, a young person, obviously, I did share with you guys. I am in the process of bringing different guests on. You know, guests that maybe specialize in a certain in a certain thing, or guests that basically you know could add a a different value and a different perspective. So we will be bringing guests on here pretty soon. So I think that'll be really cool. But at the end of the day, oh god, I do say that a lot. Holy mackerel, that's so funny. You know, now that I finally put that 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 beginning segment together i'm going to be so much more cognizant of these phrases all right so anyway i just wanted to start off with that today i wanted to start off with again a little bit of an apology if if yesterday's episode triggered anybody i mean obviously i do and did have strong feelings about the way that refugee camp was handled But again, you know, my point in this podcast and everything is to, you know, really try and strip away some of the emotion as much as possible and and really try and figure out what's going on. So, all right, there we go. All right, so the rest of this episode, we are going to talk about the military-industrial complex. You know, I've mentioned the military-industrial complex a few different times over the Actually, probably over the life of this podcast. And then recently, I've definitely brought it up in connection to the petrodollar and sort of how these things go hand in hand. You know, obviously the petrodollar being the the, the fact, as we've talked in the past two episodes, of Saudi Arabia and then other Middle Eastern countries requiring all oil transactions to be settled in the US dollar, and then that since 1974, honestly, has created the economic boom that that we've all been fortunate enough to experience here in the United States. But the military industrial complex goes back even a little further back to 1961. And Dwight D. Eisenhower, President Eisenhower. So listen to this real quick.
0: For president, I for president, I for president, you like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike. When retired World War II General Dwight David Eisenhower ran for president, he was hailed as a military savior, an all-American hero from the plains of Kansas. Vote for Eisenhower. No one expected that in his farewell address he would identify and oppose the emergence of a new power constellation, the military industrial complex. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex.
1: All right, so this is interesting. So basically, in his farewell speech, literally, like his his farewell speech out of office, where he was basically transitioning power to John F. Kennedy. And actually, one thing really quick. So Richard Nixon was Eisenhower's vice president, okay? Okay. So Richard Nixon was vice president for Eisenhower. And then after Eisenhower, Kennedy was president. Lyndon B. Johnson took over for Kennedy after he was assassinated. And then Richard Nixon was president after after Lyndon B. Johnson. And remember, Richard Nixon was the dude in charge of overseeing the petrodollar. That's interesting. Oh, gosh, I realize I say that's interesting a lot, too. But I need to... I didn't re- I didn't realize Nixon was kind of a thread through those two things the the military industrial complex underneath Eisenhower and then really going through Kennedy and Lyndon B Johnson and the petrodollar. I'm going to have to I'm actually kind of interested in Richard Nixon. I might have to do a deep shallow dive into him. But anyway, what I was going to say before I play you the next clip is you know, Eisenhower was kind of a warmonger. I mean, during his presidency, he was very pro-military, very pro... Gosh, I don't know if I'd say pro-war, but but yeah, he definitely had a reputation of of, you know, being friendly to the military. So when he gave that speech or that portion of the speech in his farewell address, where he basically warned the country about the military industrial complex, you know, there's been a lot of, I guess, speculation in terms of, you know, what caused him to do that? What, what had changed in terms of his opinion through all that? Because again, like I said, you know, during his presidency, and really from what I read, his entire political career, he was very pro-military. It, it, it was different than John F. Kennedy. You know, remember when Kennedy, when Kennedy uh, became president, one of his first orders of duty was he wanted to withdraw us from Vietnam. And if you haven't listened to the the DSD exclusive on John F. Kennedy, it is episode number eighteen. It's the. JFK unwind, we called it. So, you know, so so Kennedy definitely was, uh, you know, anti. I don't don't know if I'd say anti-military, but I think he recognized the military-industrial complex and all of that. And honestly, a lot of people think that's what got him assassinated. You know, his desire to withdraw out of Vietnam and to kind of, you know, ruin that money train—that's what people think, took him out. That's exactly what I personally think took him out. And so, but with Eisenhower, he really wasn't that guy. But then he gave that speech and really, God, warned everybody. And and, and his warning, you know, turned out to be completely accurate. All right, let's listen to this next clip. Writer David Swanson believes that this
0: military-industrial complex relies on wars or the threat of wars to stay in business. President Eisenhower pushed war propaganda in the very same speech and throughout his career, but he could not have been more right. Uh, I think he he probably did not imagine how huge the problem of what he called the military industrial complex would become. I describe it as a banker bailout every year. It is a trillion dollars, over a trillion dollars every year uh, into the machinery of mass murder. It is over half of federal discretionary spending from the U.S. government. It is as much and more than all. All other nations of the world put into the military each year. Uh, it is much of it unaccountable. Uh, the, the Pentagon routinely loses quantities of money that are as much as most of.
1: All right, that clip cut off. But basically, you know, think about some of the stuff you just heard. There are actually a lot of the things we've talked about in the past few episodes. You know, they talked about. The, the budget, the military spending budget on a yearly basis being upwards of a trillion dollars. You know, they talked about much of the money being unaccounted for. If you remember a few episodes ago, I played for you a clip from Jon Stewart where he was interviewing someone from the secretary of defense and the secretary of defense. The the Defense Department has failed their audits for the past five years. You've got contracts of $850 billion, $1.7 trillion with defense contractors such as Raytheon and uh, Lockheed Martin and these guys, you know, uh, not able to be audited properly. So, you know, a lot of the things that, that David Swanson talked about, we've touched on in the past few episodes. And again, this stuff really does tie together. you know. Now we're talking about 1961, Eisenhower giving that speech about the military-industrial complex. Think about it. 1963, Kennedy, president, hey, we're getting out of Vietnam, and then he gets assassinated, Lyndon B. Johnson, who comes in, As the vice president to then become president, one of his first acts in duty, and again, you can listen to all this in the Kennedy episode, he basically says, okay, hey, we're going back in Vietnam, and not only are we going back in, but he doubles and triples down, and you you all know kind of what happened with the Vietnam War. I'm going to do a deep, shallow dive on that, because honestly, I don't really, I can't say I'm an expert in the Vietnam War, so I'd like to get educated on that more, but I know it did not turn out to be what it was supposed to be. And I know that from watching Tom Cruise and Born on the Fourth of July. That was an awesome movie. Ron, Ron, Ron Kovacs. Ron Kovacs. That was his character's name. That was a great movie. That was uh, before Tom Cruise got a little bit weird. Okay, so... Anyway, this all this stuff all really does tie together. 1963, Kennedy assassinated, Lyndon Johnson back in the game, you know, 71, 73, the petrodollar comes into existence through Nixon. So, it's pretty it's pretty amazing when you start to piece all these these things together and what is the common thread? The common thread is money, dinero, greenbacks all that. It's money, man. And this is, it's a lot of money. You know, we're talking about a lot of money. All right. So, you know, let's go through, we go through the seventies, the petrodollar comes into play. And then this is something that, that I've kind of pieced together. And ironically, now, now Russia gets tied into this. So as we talked about, oh my gosh, was it last episode or the one? Yeah, I think it was the one before the initial petrodollar stuff. You know, When Reagan really took office in 1980, you know, that was the beginning of the end for the USSR. And so throughout the 70s, when Nixon really put the petrodollar in play, the United States basically became so wealthy during the 70s that I personally think that's what enabled us to kind of do away with do away with the USSR and dismantle that country. And so it looks like to me one of the things Ronald Reagan maybe spearheaded was, you know, dismantling a little bit of this military industrial complex because again remember without without the threat of the Soviet Union you don't have an enemy anymore, you know? There's no there's no antagonist there's no there's no boogeyman to fight anymore and most importantly there's no need for all those weapons and all those defense contracts i mean those are like billions and billions tens of billions of dollars so listen to this this clip actually kind of speaks to that to an extent and it talks about how you know everything was rolling 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 until it wasn't
0: on christmas day 1991 it all came crashing down when Mikhail Gorbachev announced the dissolution of the Soviet Union. The military-industrial complex was built to fight the Cold War, and suddenly it was over. Suddenly, the United States was left without an enemy to fight. Suddenly, the Pentagon and the defense contractors could no longer justify their jobs or their oversized budgets. So they had to create an enemy.
1: All right, the, that dude's voice is a little dramatic, but but listen to the content. Honestly, I, I really like the way this story lays things out because again, remember, so like right now we're in 1991 and there is no more Soviet Union, remember? There's no more, we don't have an enemy and therefore we need an enemy. And by we, I mean the defense contractors and the military industrial complex
0: in the 90s and 2000s that enemy was the war on terror rising islamic fundamentalism iran and russia
1: i had to stop it real quick wow that that actually kind of hit me with with a thought man history repeating itself the war on terror remember yesterday i played uh, or the day before netanyahu brought up the phrase access of evil access of evil you know that phrase is back but that's interesting that's right the war on terror iran russia and then now.
0: And now that enemy is China. So how does the military industrial complex work? War is a racket. An ambitious program for all out war. The stated goal of a group to
1: which Richard Pearl belongs, the neoconservatives. All right. So now we're getting into the Bush era, really, really Papa Bush. And if you haven't heard the phrase neoconservatives some some people call it neocons. These are the group of Republicans, but there also were Democrats in there. But really, this was that group of Republicans, Bush, Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Paul Wolfowitz, all these guys. And they were the original gangsters. They were the original OGs. These guys were the warmongers. They were all about war. But I will say from the things I've read, I mean— you know, one could argue their intentions were, were in the right place being, I mean, this was the original America's first, you know, MAGA, MAGA movement to an extent, because really they, they were, they were all about war. But I think that their inclination for war was more financially driven versus driven by, you know, wanting to, wanting to, you know, hold the values of America near and dear. Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Condoleezza Rice, Paul Wolfowitz, Douglas Fife.
0: These are the advisors who have Bush's ear. Joe Wilson, a career
1: diplomat, witnessed their rise. They came into office with the Republican Party, and in particular with the staffing done by the vice president in his office and the secretary of defense in his office. So the vice president was Dick Cheney, and the secretary of defense was Donald Rumsfeld.
0: The neoconservatives, they have ties to the world of oil, to the defense industry. They are ideologues, champions of American hegemony in the world. Saddam Hussein, an unpredictable provocateur, is their bête noir.
1: All right, so they mentioned Saddam Hussein but what i want to really focus on and again we're going to talk about the military industrial complex a few different times so i don't want to be overwhelming today so i'm just going to play a couple more things and then probably wrap it up but you know this was all about destabilizing countries and really the middle east was 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 the primary place you know they they were all about destabilizing the middle east Now, again, you can tie that back to oil. I I will tell you the one country that never was destabilized. You can probably guess, if anyone's paying attention, the past couple episodes, what do you think it is? What do you think that country is? I'll give you five guesses. I'll give you one guess. Starts with an S, ends with Arabia. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was never destabilized because Saudi Arabia... Played ball with the petrodollar. I'm telling you, this stuff is definitely linked. They played ball. I'll tell you who did not play ball when it come when it came to oil: Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, Syria, Libya. Those countries did not play ball, and they all ended up being being destabilized. You know, there ended up being chaos there. Okay. Give a listen to this guy. This actually, I am really going to try and get this guy on the podcast because I find him fascinating. This is a, a a democratic general named Wesley Clark. And he was one of the, the generals during that time, very, very high level guy. And then he's had a couple speeches that have really gone viral and that I've really enjoyed. Actually, I think I've played a couple of them before. I'll go back and look. And if not, I'll play them next episode. But listen to this speech he gave. I think this was in 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 Washington, D.C. in like 2005. They wanted us to destabilize the Middle East, turn it upside down. Now, did anybody ever tell you that? Was there a national dialogue on this? Did senators and congressmen stand up and denounce this plan? Was there a full-fledged American debate on it? Absolutely not. And there still isn't. All right, that was General Wesley Clark. There's another great speech on that he gave. Gosh, I, I feel like I've played it before. Maybe it was in the 9-11, 9-12 episode. I'll go back and listen to that. If I haven't played it, I'll, I'll definitely play it in the next episode. Even if I have, maybe I'll play it again because it was really good. Because he talked about how... You know, they told him at the Pentagon that we're planning on attacking seven countries in the next five years. And ironically, we did end up attacking a lot of those countries. Anyway, I think that's a good start on the military industrial complex, hopefully. You know, I will say the best example of that was Afghanistan. Because, again, if you think about Afghanistan, actually, you know what? Listen to this clip first
0: Afghanistan is the longest war in American history. After the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, America and its allies invaded the country. The Taliban, the hardline Islamist group that ruled over Afghanistan, had sheltered al-Qaeda and its leader, Osama bin Laden. Nearly 20 years later, the conflict has achieved very little. It's a country in ruin. The Taliban still controls much of it. And the war is showing no signs of slowing down.
1: All right, we're gonna Delve a lot more into that, but I wanted to leave you with that about Afghanistan. Because, again, think about it Afghanistan was a 20 year war, and at the end of that war, we literally returned power back over to the Taliban. So, the Taliban right now is back in charge. So, that 20 year war, which cost, I think, upwards of four to five trillion dollars, you know, I don't even know how many innocent. Soldiers, civilians, you know, had to die during that war. And that was coupled with Iraq. We're going to dig into the two of those. But, you know, those two things were probably the best modern day, well, not even modern day, probably the best overall examples of the military industrial complex. And then I guess I'll leave it up to you to give thought to whether what's taking place over the past couple years with the various battles you know could this be military industrial complex 2.0 you know we did leave afghanistan and then enter ukraine relatively soon after that so give that some thought over the weekend don't forget if you guys are at any parties ask ask the party goers what they know about the petrodollar her yesterday's episode and i will leave you with this
0: That's insane. Yep, that's insane. This episode was brought to you by Boost Liquid Vitamins. Wake up, take your Boost, start your day. Drink your vitamins, build your immune system with Boost. Available on Boost.com.